0: Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex
1: Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because they'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. It's phenomenal right now. It's just, uh, there's huge numbers of fish in the lake. Uh, crappie fishing is... is- really good because with these high water events crappie just keep getting off good spawns every year and it takes them you know it takes a a small crappie it takes them about two to three years to get to 10 inches so you know we've had five high water years in a row you're listening to the ozark podcast
2: presented by inland we sit down with men and women from the ozarks have a passion for the outdoors Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle If you want to watch exclusive full-length video episodes with each of our guests, receive a free Ozark-inspired sticker every single month, and get a shout-out on a future episode, then sign up for the White River Club on our Patreon. The link is in the show notes, and your support goes a long way. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. Now, here's the episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Viet on the mic, as always, and I am joined today by co-host of the show, Adam Trees. How's it going? It's good, man.
0: How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah. What's going on with you? What's new? Uh, Man, did a lot of yard work this weekend. Had a time or a weekend away from work. Didn't go turkey hunting this weekend. I did go last week. Um, One morning, didn't shoot anything. But But other than that. You saw a bunch, right? Yeah. Well, we saw one really pretty big Tom, and the rest were Jakes. Um, Never gave us a shot. Long story short, we didn't get one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's tough, man. I I went out... um, just yesterday turkey hunting and our, our guest i don't know if, if you're a turkey hunter um but hopefully this will be entertaining i've been to the same spot two years in a row i've seen birds both times i've been outsmarted by birds both times that i've gone and <laughs> i don't know maybe third time's the charm um they just for as small as their little heads are they've got a bigger brain than i do i guess i don't know
0: they're they're dumb turkeys, but they're super smart turkeys sometimes too. Yeah,
2: it is tough. So I'm gonna next weekend is the last uh, at least from the point of recording this. Next weekend is the last season for for turkeys in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna try to get, you her, get your own one, get her done. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's obviously so it's springtime, um, and with the weather warming up, we've had a bunch of rain lately. I think all this next week we've got rain in the forecast. But um, you know, water's coming up. Obviously, spring, new life begins, everything's mm-hmm. turning green, and um, so people are going to be fishing a lot more. Uh, so that brings us to our guest. We wanted to bring on someone who can speak to the fisheries in our area of the world up here in Northwest Arkansas. And so we brought on um, our guest, which is John Stein, Northwest Arkansas District Fisheries Biologist. John, how's it going?
1: Doing good. Good. Really uh, really liking the rain we're
2: getting. Yeah, Absolutely. And for you, like, what is as as the fisheries biologist guy? What does the rain mean for you? You're you're loving it. What does that mean? Well, for you? Uh,
1: especially when you manage Beaver Lake, it's a, a large reservoir, and this time of year, the the fishery is driven by high water events. Okay. When the when the lake gets up, like right now during the spawn, and it stays high all the way into August or September, that just uh, you're going to have a really good like the largemouth bass, spotted bass, smallmouth bass, walleye, crappie are going to do really well. They're going to have, you know, the, the fish the fish are actively spawning mm-hmm. right now. A lot right. of crappie are in shallow. Bass are going to be coming on later on. But uh, when they when they, you know, spawn, they get off really good spawns during high water and then the the fish that are that are spawned have a lot of places to hide because mm-hmm. there's flooded timber, flooded buck brush all over the lake. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, the, the fish that are spawned do really well, but the nutrients that are brought in because of rain and flooding uh, drives the fishery. It kind of drives the food web. Yeah, You know, you have really good amounts of, of, of plankton, and then zooplankton eats the plankton, and, uh, and small fish eat zooplankton. Yeah. <laughs> and then all that, the forage does really well, too, during a high water event. Shad, threadfin okay. shad, mm-hmm. gizzard shad, bluegill, red ear sunfish—they just huge numbers. Yeah, and so it helps the helps the fish population. Yeah, and we've had we've had more high water events on Beaver uh, since 2008 than we did the previous 40 years of the reservoir. Golly, so that's crazy.
2: Mm-hmm. It's so, so just in the last what is that 14 years we've had yeah. more high water events than since well yeah. the previous 40 years yeah. before mm-hmm. 2008.
1: And and this is we're looking at. Right now we're going on probably our fifth high water year in a row, which is unheard of. Yeah, <laughs> golly. So,
0: can you see a difference in the fish population or the total fishery since that's happened?
1: Yeah, yeah. We uh, so we do uh, we do sample fish populations, and we uh, we actually to, to sample the, the black bass fishery, largemouth, spotted, smallmouth bass. We actually use a electrofishing boat. Okay, so it's a boat that's set up with uh, with a generator on it and a in a what we call a pulse box, it actually converts uh, AC electricity to DC, mm-hmm. and it uh, it puts electricity in the water in the front of the boat, and it uh, basically just stuns the fish. Right, coming into contact with the electrical field, mm-hmm. we're able to net fish, put them in the boat, and uh, take lengths and weights on mm-hmm. them. We also get a catch per hour of electrofishing, so we do like eight hours. So we get eight. We do eight hours of electrofishing every year, and let's say during. Previous high water, we'd get about sixty largemouth bass per hour of electrofishing. Mm. Now we're getting well over a hundred oh, largemouth wow. per hour yeah. of electrofishing, and it's because they're, you know, getting off really good spawns and they're surviving. Yeah. it's good recruitment. Wow,
2: that's awesome. So, yep. in in summary, there's never been a better time to be an angler.
1: Around. I think I think it's mm-hmm. been it's phenomenal right now. Yeah. it's just uh, there's huge numbers of fish in the lake. Uh, crappie fishing is is really good. Because with these high water events, crappie just keep getting off good spawns every year. Yeah. And it takes them, you know, it takes a a small crappie, it takes them about two to three years to get to 10 inches. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had five high water years in a row. So so we're finally reaping those benefits, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That is
2: cool. That is, I mean, that's exciting to hear. Um, Makes me want to, you know, I I mostly stick to, um, for anyone who's listened to the podcast knows, I'm mostly a fly fisherman, but. I do like to switch it up. I don't stick to fly angling all the time. I, I'll, I'll go do some other stuff. But it sounds like I need to go try to hit some crappie sometime <laughs> soon.
1: Yeah, they're uh, they're a little late this year because water. It's been a cold spring, right? And I think I think you still have a couple weeks of them being shallow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With uh with with this high
0: water, like flooding, I guess you you'd consider it. Is it harder for people to catch the fish or locate the fish though? Th-
1: that's the issue with high water. Is uh, it's good for the fish? Yeah. But sometimes it can be hard on the fishermen, right? Because places yeah, hide, the fish the fish could be spread out, yeah. right? And uh, and so yeah, that's that's one thing. It's tough because yeah. like, let's say white bass. You know, historically you'd get a good white bass run, and you would we wouldn't get much flooding. You know, before '08, yeah. now you get white bass into the river for a day or two, and then it floods, and then it floods, and then you're like you're out for you know three or four days or until that river comes
2: back down. Yeah. And where, like, the white bass run, where do they go when it it floods? They can
1: move around. They can go further upstream as far as they can go. Um, What's really weird about white bass, and we've seen this, um, it's temperature-driven, too, because... There's some good. There's some good uh, fisheries. White bass come out of Table Rock Lake. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Beaver Tail Water. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Obviously they come out of Table Rock, but they also come into the Kings River. Okay. White bass do, and we were out doing some sampling of the uh, walleye one year, and we were out there and water temperature was right. You know, it got really warm, and we went in there, electrofished, and there were thousands of white bass in in the Kings River. Really. Hmm. And. Then we had a big cold front come through. It got down to like 29 degrees one night. The next night we went out, white bass were gone. Mm-hmm. We didn't see a single white bass. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, no, you know, man. maybe it was they moved up there because the water temperature was getting right. Yeah. And it just got, you know, dropped off and then they moved out. Golly.
2: Yeah. That's insane. Literally thousands to the next day, nothing. Nothing, yeah. That's crazy.
0: Uh, what uh, what river runs through like the War Eagle area?
1: Uh, So War Eagle Creek. Isn't is that the creek? Uh, okay. that's the creek that that comes in through the War Eagle area, War Eagle Mill. Okay, um, that is a major tributary of Beaver Lake. Yeah, with the White River, mm-hmm. which which comes in, and, you know, just from the actually the the White River and War Eagle. It's kind of strange. The rivers flow north. Yeah, and so, the Kings does that too, right? Yeah, yep. the Kings flows north into Table Rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we got it's weird. You never it's like you always grow up here in the no rivers go north and then Yeah. <laughs> that's actually I have a really funny story. Um a buddy of ours, me and AD, I'm looking at Daniel over here, a <laughs> guy we went to high school with. We went we were going to go floating one day and so we <laughs> we got my canoe, we got all of our um you know, we got our two cars, we're going to do the shuttle, we got our life jackets and everything, stuff like that. We get snacks for the for the float and everything and we go over to I think it was I think it was the Kings River. And so I get on satellite and I'm looking at access points and I'm like, okay, we're going to put in here. We're going to park your car and we're going to take out here. And we go to put in and the waters going the opposite way. Oh, man. And I was like, you're kidding me. We got to go get your car, man. This is not going to work. We tried for a little bit to paddle up and we're like, yeah, that's no, not going to work. It's not working. So it's weird that is, that's just because yeah. of our landscape and yep. the, the way our elevation goes yep. and flows into mm-hmm. Missouri.
0: Well, I asked that because I fished war or yeah, War Eagle Creek last year, maybe two years ago for white bass. So I guess there's a pretty decent population there. I caught like one or two. Mm -hmm. The water was pretty low, but I didn't know whether it actually had white bass very, very much in it or not. Yeah. uh,
1: At this time of year, Mm -hmm. probably about a week or two ago is when they were, this water temperature gets up to about 55. Yeah. They'll they'll move out of Beaver Lake into War Eagle Creek and spawn, uh, you know, from the mill, uh, you can catch them all the way into the lake you yeah. know but a lot of times they'll stack up below the mill mm. oh, okay and then how long do they stay when they come up to spawn Ma- males will stay there for a while it's kind of like with the walleye there's still walleye yeah probably in those areas at Warrigo White River yeah um, beaver tail water the males will hang around for for a while sometimes we've actually seen uh we've seen walleye in in uh, beaver tail water in june some of them stay there mm. a long time. Oh, really? But mo- the majority of them, you know, they'll be there for about, males will be there two, th- two weeks to a month. Mm-hmm. And the females, when they're ready to spawn, they'll come out of deep water, spawn, and then leave. Yeah. But yeah. the males hang around for a while. Gotcha. Man, that's cool. That's good to know. I mean,
2: it gives you, just extends your time to fish them a little bit. If yeah. you're, mm-hmm. if you don't wanna, you know, fish quite as deep or you wanna catch them up while they're spawning, that, yeah. that's like a better opportunity to, mm-hmm. to get on them. Um, well, before we go too, too much deeper into everything else, um, let's just start with a little bit about you, your background, how you, how you came to be the Northwest Arkansas District Fisheries Biologist, where you're from, um, okay. just what's your story?
1: Yeah, okay. I, uh, so I grew up in northeastern Colorado, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a, an extension of western Kansas, okay. so it's flat and windy. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it's not the Colorado everyone it's maybe not, thinks no, of. No, it's not the Colorado everybody thinks of. It's flat and windy. Um, grew up hunting and fishing, and knew i wanted to do something in that field so i went to college actually went to college at a small school in kansas and played football okay. got, a, got a degree in biology and then realized that i needed to to step up my game and actually get a master's degree okay it takes you know these jobs are super competitive yeah and so i got a master's degree in uh, fisheries biology and uh just love hunting and fishing. That's kind of how I got into it. Mm, right. Where did you get um, your master's from? I went to I went to Emporia State University, mm. which is in Kansas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it was a, a degree in environmental biology, but I got a master's thesis in you know doing fisheries research. And then what after was your, your thesis on so I did uh, so I did some research on uh, white perch and yellow bass, which are uh, uh, in that area, Kansas and Missouri. They weren't native, and so it, It was a just a population assessment of these two species that were not native. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And the issues that they caused. You know, I basically looked at age and growth to determine how fast they grow. Right. Um, What their diet was. Are they competing with other sport fish? Yeah, the natural native. Yeah, like crappie. Yeah. Yeah. So after my master's degree, I uh, I kind of moved a little bit, went all over. I worked in. I worked for Colorado Division Wildlife part time. I worked for Wyoming Game and Fish part time. Okay. And uh and then I went back and got my master's degree during that time and then I my first position came open. The first job I got was in Arkansas. There's okay. a Arkansas Game and Fish has a we have a really well funded agency. Um I don't know if you know this. The uh, we're one of the only states in the United States that actually has a sales tax. Oh, I do. So there's know that. a one eighth of every penny Mm. one eight sales tax goes to the arkansas game and fish i did not know that and it yeah it generates up to 30 million dollars a year wow so in other states don't or missouri other states most don't missouri and arkansas do and that was a that was that was vote it was an amendment that uh and and it was voted on but you know it had to be and it was it was voted in yeah you know back in i think 1995 so we're one of the we're very well funded and we get a lot of and that's why we get to do a lot of the work that we do right because and that's what kind of drew me here is cuz that's mm-hmm. a good it's a good area yeah. you know you guys live here in northwest arkansas there's a lot to do outside a lot of hunting and fishing oh yeah sure. absolutely yeah.
2: and when you've got good game management from from game and fish obviously that helps protect and and enhance the resources that we already have i mm-hmm. think about too those two states you named arkansas and missouri that's where the ozarks are mm-hmm. um i mean that's one of the things that makes the states just a beautiful place to live. It's one of the attractions to to why people live here. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure within Game and Fish, being that it's kind of a scientific community, you're talking a lot of biology, funding is a huge part of mm-hmm. actually being able to put in legislation and, and make regulations. Um, so I can see why that would be attractive to you. To, yeah, Is that why basically kind of that idea behind going to somewhere that's well-funded?
1: Yeah, that and... My first job, you know, yeah. I, I put in all over the place, and it's pretty competitive. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I started out at a hatchery, so okay. it was part. I was a full time technician. Okay, I started out at seventeen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, <laughs> right <laughs> out of school. Where was that at? <laughs> it at uh, Hot Springs okay. at Andrew Holsey Hatchery. Okay, um, but I knew that there was a possibility that I could move up because mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of biologists that were going to retire at the time. Yeah. So and and I you know we knew Arkansas was. Pretty pretty cool outdoor place to live, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of how I got down here. Started out of the hatchery, and then in Hot Springs, and then I was a fish pathologist for the hatchery system okay. for six years, which is I I did a uh, fish disease work. Oh, okay, huh. yeah, and then then I moved into a uh, fisheries management position, is which I wanted to be. I wanted to be a biologist. Yeah, so I could do all the uh, cool stuff like <laughs> go out and put your hands on a lot of fish, <laughs> yeah.
2: do the electrofishing. Yeah. Boats. I, I, we've, we, when we had Christy Graham on the podcast, I wasn't there for that, but Adam and uh, our other buddy Kyle, who helps co host the show. Yeah.
0: I just threw her a bone to see if they usually ever take anybody out there with them just to watch. Yeah. (laughs) Hoping that I'd get a pity invite to go out there with her. It would be
2: fun. I don't know if you guys take people out, but but if you ever do, you know know who to call. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it just, yeah, it seems cool. I, I, to the pathologists studying disease and stuff like that, what were some of your takeaways from that, or what did you learn and study when you were there?
1: Uh, so just, we, you know, uh, a lot of state agencies, federal government, conservation agencies have, over time, have figured out that introducing new species is not always the best thing. Yeah. You know, it can bring in uh, aquatic nuisance species, or you can bring in fish diseases. Right. And you know, in the past, we've we've learned from that. Mm-hmm. So we're not, you know, we're not bringing in new species anymore because you see a one of the a really good example of a the most uh, popular invasive species that people don't think about is a common carp. Mm, okay. Just a common carp that you see that has you know they get pretty big. People shoot bow fish them. Right. Um, they have the common carp that has a you know mouth on the bottom, has barbels on this you know on mm-hmm. its face. Right. So back in the uh, 1800s, uh, people from Europe love common carp. Like to eat. Oh yeah, that's their favorite fish. Really. And they would actually. And now <laughs> it's considered like now trash it's, fish. It's right? all over. Yeah. They're they're in every state pretty much. Yeah. You know, and they would actually Europeans loved carp so much that they would actually meet the stocking truck at the train. You know, they brought them in on trains. Yeah. And uh, they would meet them with a marching band. Wow. A <laughs> marching t- band. And take them down to the river. Oh, my god. And so, uh, yeah, that's in a, that's just a really good example of an, a, a nuisance species. I mean, nice. they're, they're all over. And they're and not and native to Arkansas. They're not native. No, they're from Europe. And they, uh, like, if you have a small couple-acre pond, and you get common carp in there, they'll stir up the water and make the water really dirty. Right. And then you don't have good bass population because they can't see to eat. Yeah. So that's just a good example of of an aquatic, you know, a, a nuisance species that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. Is
2: there anything, obviously they're everywhere, so now it's almost like it's too, too late to maybe do anything. Is there anything that you guys try to do or can do um, to kind of combat that? Or at this point, is it like, well, it's, Basically, you know, it's been here long enough, and it hasn't destroyed anything.
1: You know, not so much. There's not much you can do with the species like common carp that's been here for hundred, you know, hundred years. Yeah. But there are. We actually have an aquatic nuisance species biologist, and we're getting tons of funding because there are issues right now with aquatic nuisance species. I was talking to you guys earlier about silver carp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're a uh, invasive that they could they grow really fast. And when they're startled by a boat motor, these fish can be up to 30 pounds. They jump through the air. Yeah. And, uh, which is a problem because, which is a problem because <laughs> you get smacked in the face with it on a jet ski. I've seen those videos
0: and laughed really hard at those. It's yeah. Had, and then
1: there's like hundreds of them jumping up. Sometimes oh, yeah. You can't hundreds escape of them, them, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, uh, that's just an example. We, and we actually have an aquatic, aquatic nuisance species biologist and we actually have a, a carp eradication team. Oh, okay because we don't have any silver carp up here, yeah, or any of the bad like silver carp yeah, grass carp stuff like that there are a lot, a lot of them are down in southeast Arkansas, but okay. we have a so we have a a crew that's that's actually going out and netting these uh silver carp and trying to reduce the population through hmm. through netting yeah man
0: so is there anything beneficial to carp being in our fisheries?
1: Um, no, they're, uh, no. they're kind of a, a nuisance species, especially, like I said, with common carp, they'll mm-hmm. stir up the mud, cause a, a, a pond or a lake fishery to be ruined because the water clarity isn't good enough for largemouth bass to even be able to eat. Yeah. Uh, silver carp are a major problem because they may be competing with other species, native species that mm-hmm. are out there cause they get really big. They filter feed, um, mm-hmm. and they jump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they can, so they can compete with native fish, but they can also cause you know a problem with jumping and hitting people. Yeah,
2: yeah, that is a problem. Yeah, uh, when you have something that comes in and and it maybe it's not native. Do you ever do you ever see examples of something that is technically an invasive species, but ultimately it comes in and it doesn't cause very much damage, doesn't cause cause very much harm, and you almost kind of adopt it into? Like the game fish regulation, or is is it is an invasive species always a nuisance? Is
1: it always something that you kind of want to get rid of, or do you ever see good good sides to that? You know, uh, most of the nuisance species are, you know, the aquatic nuisance species are bad. we yeah. don't we don't want them. We want to. A lot of them we don't even recognize the state record. Okay, you know, like okay. just we don't want them. You yeah. know, we and if you have if, if someone catches one, we want them to, to kill it. You know, <laughs> and uh, but there are there are examples of. Uh, they're not nuisance species, but examples of fish introductions mm-hmm. that we have done. Um, a good example is the brown trout, rainbow trout fishery below the below the big reservoirs. Right. That you know when they when they put the reservoirs in, it's cold water release. It f- pushed out all the native species, smallmouth bass, mm-hmm. um, other minnow species. So the, the fish and wildlife service came back, came and stocked. Uh, rainbow trout brown trout to mitigate that loss right and it's created a tremendous tremendous fishery mm-hmm. um other examples are um beaver lake is and and there are three lakes in arkansas that has striped bass stocked and they've been stocked since the 60s okay maybe 70s on beaver lake is striped bass um they were stocked initially to do a uh there was a huge population of adult gizzard shad and they were thinking hey we bring in this Large, you know, mm-hmm. we bring in a striped bass. Yeah. They can control those monster fish. Yeah, and they and they they can get really big, really fast, and they can control us you know a, a large gizzard shad population. And when you knock back the big gizzard shad, you have more small gizzard shad, which helps out all the other fish. Mm-hmm. Right. But it also produced a, tro- a world class trophy fishery on Beaver Lake, and there's it's continuing to do really well. I mean, you'll see fish that are. Uh, a couple of years ago, one was fifty five pounds. It was caught. The current state record was caught below Beaver Lake and Beaver Tailwater. Yeah, it was over sixty pounds. Really? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's insane.
0: In the tailwater, I didn't know tailwater. that. It I was know. probably I would think eating they'd be trout up in
1: the lake. It was probably eating trout. Yeah, did, did, did <laughs> and it getting it fat. Was. Yeah, did it get there
0: through like Table Rock, or did it go through the dam? It would, probably went through the dam. Okay, yeah,
1: because okay. I think there are a, a few stripers. I think some of them survive when they go over the floodgates. Yeah, the Apparently they do, <laughs> mm. but not many. Yeah, only the big boys maybe. Yeah,
2: Golly, that is cool. So that's an example of one that's actually been, it's not native, but it's been a successful yeah, uh, introduction. Yeah. So,
0: so is white bass native to Beaver Lake?
1: Yeah, white bass are native to this area. Okay, but
0: white bass can't, I guess, transform or whatever that looks like into a straight bass because you hear hybrids and like kind of the gray area between them you
1: don't you don't see it very often in the you know in the wild where a white bass and a striped bass will reproduce Mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen very often but uh, fisheries agencies have actually stocked have made hybrid striped bass Mm -hmm. which is a cross between a white bass uh, a white bass male and a striped bass female or the or the vice versa Mm -hmm. or vice versa yeah it's a different and they make hybrid striped bass Okay. and there are some lakes that we stock those in in arkansas like uh norfolk Okay. yeah has a uh, hybrid striped bass and they they uh they get pretty big they can get up to you know 15 Golly. 18 pounds and i don't know if you ever caught a, a hybrid striped bass they'll no i have they'll you out i was bass fishing
0: cranking <laughs> a really deep point and i thought i just had a monster <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and it was like a Probably a seven or eight pounds stri- uh, like hybrid. It was on Grand Lake, hmm. but it had the broken lines. Isn't that mm-hmm. kind of how you tell the difference?
1: Yeah, and the and the uh, the body depth. You know, hybrids will take on the white bass body depth. Uh-huh. Yeah, their circumference is really big. Um, one of the ways you tell the difference is look. You just look at a, like the anal fin. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's how you tell the difference between a white bass and a striper is looking at anal fin spines. Gotcha. But they're uh, Hybrid striped bass are very hard fighters, like you talked about. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was
0: deep and I thought I was just had a monster bass. Yeah. yeah.
1: When you got it up, we're like, no, oh, it's a hybrid. <laughs> well, it was cool because it was it's the first fun. one I've ever caught. Yeah. And
0: yeah. At first, I thought it was a white bass. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah they,
1: uh, because they're so thick, you mm-hmm. know, and they just, they'll, they'll peel drag for. If you, if you don't have enough line on, you're going to lose the fish. Yeah. It's going to be gone. Gone.
2: Oh man! And you're so you're an angler too. Yeah. Um, that's kind. Of, you mentioned that growing up, you did that a lot. Um, do you get to still fish a lot? And obviously,
1: being in your position, you kind of know where the fish are. You're, you're probably <laughs> a really good angler. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty decent uh, small mouth fisherman on the on local creeks and rivers. I really love that's my passion is doing that using soft plastics. Yeah. Um we have some really good fisheries in Arkansas. I mean, incredible. Kings River's got a really good smallmouth population. You can, you know, have sixty fish days. Yeah. Where you when you get back, your thumb's all worn out, you know, all <laughs> rough. That's a good up. day. That's a great yep. day. even if you yeah. only catch ten or two, it's still a it's a good time to be out on the rivers. Yeah. yeah. So Kings River's really good. Um War Eagle Creek has some pretty good small smallmouth fishing, but it also has some good spotted bass. In, in largemouth, mm-hmm. I've seen a sick over six pound largemouth caught in in really? war eagle. Wow, yeah, wow. and then uh, Illinois River yeah has a really good smallmouth, but it has a really impressive spotted bass fishery. Really, we've seen three pounders in mm-hmm. in the Illinois. So, so do you
0: do fun. any work in the small fisheries around here?
1: Yeah, I, uh, so Beaver Lake's the big one obviously, right. but we also do uh, we manage the fish populations in. Illinois River, War Eagle Creek, Kings River, um, small lakes, like uh, all the way from Lake Hinesville, like is is 10 acres to um, we help Lake Fayetteville. You know, the city of Fayetteville is managing Lake Fayetteville, Lake Sequoia. Uh, the Game and Fish Lakes up here are Bob Kidd, yep. Elmdale, Crystal Lakes. Yep. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so we do a lot of um, fish population sampling to find out what the fish populations look like. And uh, based on our sampling, we can we can uh, make rec- recommendations for regulations that okay. will improve fisheries. Um, big thing that we spend a lot of our time on now is doing habitat, en- enhancing habitat mm-hmm. in, in lakes and in rivers. Um, as, you know, Beaver Lakes, I think it's like 56 years old now. Yeah. And it has historically... Had a lot of standing timber in it. Well, over that time, all that standing timber is kind of eroded and oh, is gone. That's interesting. Yeah. So and and reservoirs have this, uh have a the first like 15 years of when a reservoir's impounded is probably the best it's gonna be because it's all this terrestrial stuff has been flooded. You've mm-hmm. got huge trees that are in the lake, you've got a lot of nutrients in the soil. So there's this uh this boom, like mm-hmm. 15 years after a reservoir is built. And then it just kind of, you know, it kind of levels out after right. that. Except for when you have high water vents on Beaver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then it gets back up. And then, it, then that it's timber. getting really good right now, yeah. Yeah, so but how, uh,
0: how do you manage the structure in Beaver now that it's already, you okay. know, full of water? I've never yeah.
2: thought about that. That's actually a really interesting point. Yeah. Is, and it makes sense as you think about when you put in a dam, obviously there's all that... Um, mm-hmm. kind of flora and fauna uh, that's, you know, that's been there and that goes into the water and mm-hmm. creates structure and habitat. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's an interesting point, but yeah, it's to your so question.
1: So we have uh and, and because we're really well funded, like I said, with the sales tax and and we also get funding from hunting and fishing license sales. Right, that's sure. a big driver also, but we do, we actually, the, the fisheries division, we do two large scale fish habitat projects a year. So our, Fisheries biologists will come. They just came to Beaver Lake in December, and there were over 40 employees that were cutting cedar trees, which are kind of an invasive species around Beaver Lake. Mm-hmm. We are cutting cedar trees, dragging them into the water, and sinking them for fish habitat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we we actually cut and placed over 900 cedar trees in a wow. two-week period. Wow. And uh, so there's right now there's about 300 of these habitat sites in Beaver Lake, that are that so one habitat site has six large cedar trees on it and we take gps coordinates from those habitat sites and you can actually go to our website agfc.com and you can uh you can upload those we have instructions on how to upload them to any sonar unit huh i was going to ask that if that's
0: like kind of hidden information or if you guys share that
1: no it's shared and uh they're I think we have over 7,500 7, habitat sites state in the whole state on different lakes. Okay, that we've done in the last probably ten years. Hmm. But there's probably about three hundred on beaver right now. Three hundred habitat. Three hundred habitat. Yeah, three to four hundred
2: right now. And then, how long do those habitat sat, uh, sites last, if you will? Like those trees, obviously they dec- they decay and things change. Yeah,
1: you know, cedar trees uh, and hardwood trees are pretty. Uh, they'll, they'll last quite a while, yeah. especially if they don't get exposed to sunlight like the standing timber right. is eroding over time because it's uh a lot of it has seen sunlight you know obviously it's standing timber out of the water yeah um, but these cedar trees that we're sinking we're attaching blocks to them so they're we're sinking them in 15 to some of them are 28 30 feet of water okay so, so know, they're going to be deep yeah and they're and they're not going to see the sunlight yeah so they could stay in and some of these trees you know the average size tree we used was 7 inches in diameter Okay. So, you know, we're talking a probably 15-foot tall yeah, tree. that's a pretty good that's tree. Big. The, the biggest one was 20 inches in diameter. Ooh. And it took 32 blocks. Oh, how, yeah. how do you get that <laughs> from <laughs> the land to the, that's a good to point. where you're going to sink it? How we get them there? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so interesting thing. We have, because, in some of our barges are getting old, but we have two barges that are uh, set up for actually pulling trees off the bank and hmm. Off into the lake. One of them is uh, in Mountain Home, and it actually has it's a specifically does designed for this. And just picture a boat with the boat motor turned around backwards. Okay, it's like a pontoon, yeah. And the boat wo- mo- boat motor is turned around backwards. Okay, so when you're actually pulling away from the bank, you're in forward gear. <laughs>
2: gotcha. Okay,
1: so you can pull several thousand pounds. Yeah. You know, you probably a couple thousand. You know, these trees are like thousand, you know, at least thousand pounds, twelve hundred pounds, and you man. can pull them into the lake. And you, you're of course leaving them whole, right? Yeah, Cause trying you- to because they'll last last a lot longer. Yeah,
2: man. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big effort. Yeah. Uh, so you said about forty to fifty employees, yeah, and you guys are all working on. Some people are cutting. Some people are helping hook up trees, haul them to the barge, and. Yeah. And all that. Man, yeah. A big effort. And
1: so this, uh, so we are doing, uh, like I said, two a year. Okay. Statewide. So we'll go to, I think there's going to be one down around Hot Springs in the next couple months. Um, but this this project that we did with the Arkansas Game and Fish, the 40 employees, it's linked to a much bigger project. So there's a, uh, there's a, there's this thing called the National Fish Habitat Partnership. It's a federal money that we can get to do fish habitat. There's also a Reservoir Fish Habitat Partnership that we put in for a grant to, uh, to get, because we knew we were going to be doing this habitat work. Right. Why don't we use it to get more funding, right? Yeah. So we, uh, one thing that is really important with all this rain we're getting is the tributary of Beaver Lake, um, War Eagle Creek, um, White River. Right. Tributaries of those, are uh, we have a lot of stream bank erosion. From flooding, Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll see it if you're fishing the Kings. You'll see a a bank that's, Mm -hmm. you know, been actively eroding. Yeah. So we'll actually, we got funding from this Reservoir Fish Habitat Partnership to work with a couple different agencies. First, the Game and Fish Beaver Watershed Alliance, and uh, we got funding to do a bank stabilization project on Clifty Creek. Yeah. Okay. And which is a tributary of Beaver Lake, and we we uh we did a bank stabilization project where we went in and fixed this eroding bank and then we planted a bunch of trees over 300 shrubs and trees on that riparian area mm-hmm. so hopefully you won't have erosion there in the future and that reduces sedimentation into eventually into beaver lake yeah which which is a big benefit so that project funded a, funded that um bank stabilization project but we also did the habitat in the lake you know we put over 145 fish habitat sites in the lake and it grew from i think originally we had around 100,000 in total funding now it's over 330,000 and a a company or a agency called the fish america foundation they came in and gave us another 80,000 and so we're actually two of my the guys I work with are picking up a new habitat barge right now tomorrow. Really? That we got funded through this. Oh, cool! And it's a uh, it's a twenty seven foot um, habitat barge that has a dump bed on it, a hydraulic dump bed on it, and it'll uh-huh. it'll dump eight thousand pounds. Oh man, Gosh.
2: that sounds like a cool machine. <laughs> yeah. So we
1: got yeah we got funded from that from that whole project. Somebody you know the Fish America Foundation jumped in, and and then the Game and Fish put in a little bit more money, and we got about a hundred and forty thousand dollar barge. That we'll be using on beaver yeah, and then man. statewide so and
2: and so then we you, you said statewide so you'll move yeah. it actually you'll put it on on bumpers basically oh it's a, a it's a it's on
1: a trailer okay. yeah so it's like it's a 27 foot boat so I mean it's manageable you got to have at least three quarter ton truck to pull it yeah but yeah we can uh um move it around you know, all, to all the different projects we do, but it'll be housed up here in northwest Arkansas. Yeah, mm. man, that's cool. So that, that project though, was
0: that was at Beaver, and mm-hmm. you said December, was yep. that spread out everywhere? Was it strategically placed, certain areas?
1: We, uh so we worked mainly um, in the middle to kind of the middle part of the lake, mm-hmm. because that's where we had access to thousand cedar trees. I had to get The Game and Fish had to get permission from the Corps of Engineers because they don't allow anybody to cut trees. They don't. No, they do not. We Growing
2: up here, anyone who has lake property out on the lake, it's like, you don't touch the trees (laughs) or you're in trouble. Yep,
1: and see, we linked it to um, cedar trees are not, they're they're native, but they've become kind of a nuisance. Yeah. Because there used to be a lot of prescribed burning done, and... You you had a lot of prairies. Well, now we're not doing not doing much prescribed burning anymore, and these cedar trees have taken over the the like the Beaver Lake WMA. Yeah. So we came in and said, "Hey, we can we can do a couple things here. We can improve fish habitat, but when we whenever we remove those cedar trees, we're improving wildlife habitat." Yeah. There you go. Two birds with one stone. Two birds with one stone. Yeah. So we did. We actually did. uh, One of our crews was actually. We called it the Holland tree crew. We actually cut trees in, in big areas, you know, like probably two or three acre field. It used to be a field. Yeah. We cut the cedar trees out of it. We had to, we drug them down to the shoreline with a boat and then we had to hand load them onto the barges. Ooh. So that was a lot of work. That's the heavy lifting team. <laughs> yeah. Always. And then we moved them and we hauled them about three to probably about three miles. So from the cut site, so yeah. we spread them out pretty good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So
0: are you seeing a lot more fishermen there? Are people like recognizing that, or do they know that very much?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we we've done you know we do angler surveys mm-hmm. where we uh, a creel survey and we'll ask, and one of our questions we asked last year was, "Are you familiar with our game and fish habitat sites?" Mm-hmm. And over fifty percent said yes, they fish them and they do better. Oh, really? Over fifty percent? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and it'll. Uh, It'll actually, uh, when you put those brush piles in, let's say you put a brush pile on a point that doesn't have fish habitat, it's going to, it probably is going to load up with fish. Yeah, That's just Mm -hmm. crappie and bass are associated with cover. Yeah. Right. Yeah,
0: we used to always do that. Um, I'm originally from Oklahoma, so I fished Grand Lake a lot. And after every Christmas, we'd go and find old Christmas trees, you know, any cedar trees you can and we'd sink so many behind or underneath my grandparents' dock. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the that year that you sink them, you know, just a couple months later, they're filled with crappie. Is that pretty similar with the, these huge trees, or do the fish kind of, like, get scared of,
1: scared of them, I guess? No, they could, they could be on there in the next day. Okay. Oh, and we've wow, a- we've actually, oh, yeah, you can see them in there fast. If there's no habitat around, they'll be on them. Okay. There'll be bluegill, um, all kinds of fish on them. Yeah. Is that something
2: for um, you know? A lot of times I think about like when we talked with um, uh, you know Jeremy Wood talking about managing our land for turkeys and stuff like that. There's little things you can do if you own some property on the water, you've got a pond or anything like that. Is that is it as simple as hey maybe add some additional structure, sink a cedar tree from your lot on the water, and that'll help your fishing?
1: Yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, on your private ponds and stuff. But the you know the core doesn't allow. You can't cut the course trees. You can't trees, cut the trees. you can trees. cut your trees, yeah, right, And take yeah. them down to the water? Yeah. There yeah. you go. Okay, yeah. so you
0: can hang your own. Like, let's say I cut one in my backyard here, not on the lake. I can go hang it from my dock? On
1: beaver, yeah. Okay. I think the one just sink or sink it, yeah. You know, you think about it, it's probably better to hang it, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, if uh, the the thermocline in the lake in the summer, Mm -hmm. if it's around 20 to 25 feet, you put that brush pile down 20 to 25 feet and you're going to be golden, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, just put it right in the sweet spot. And 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 these are
0: so deep, too, yeah, around the docks, but
1: yeah, you wouldn't want to throw it all the way on the bottom because Mm -hmm. then the majority of the year it's not going to be producing any. You're not gonna be able to catch fish on them, yeah especially in the summer, yeah that's true that's a good tip
2: i'm gonna well if I ever get some lake property <laughs> I, I have a
0: secret pond here around the area
2: well, you don't disclose it on here we'll, I'm not we'll have <laughs> but i to, we'll but I sank go. a
0: couple trees a few years oh, back, and right. I'm still reaping the benefits good deal
2: you gotta you haven't taken me there yet i don't no I haven't What's going on man? I haven't <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah um you you mentioned something about erosion and sediment in the water earlier, and I wanted to ask you I, you know, you always hear that, but what does that actually do? Why is that bad for fishing or for fish in general?
1: So a lot of species of fish, like walleye, um, largemouth bass, um, just just the, uh, like when you have too much sediment in a pond or a lake, you're going to have uh, largemouth bass or sight feeders. So they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to see. They can't see. To feed very well. And yeah. like I was saying with the carp, if, if they're, they're causing a problem where you have less than, you know, a few inches of, you can see down in the water a few inches, you're going to have a drastic reduction in largemouth bass population. Mm-hmm. But also, not just because of the site feeding, but uh, walleye and a lot of different species of fish, white bass, they uh, when they release their eggs, walleye's eggs are, are sticky, and they'll fall down oh. to rocks on the river bottom. Mm-hmm. And if uh, there's too much sediment they'll uh they'll suffocate you know those those Mm. eggs need to have uh you need to have some clear water on them but if it's just brown turbid water they're going to get covered with that sediment that's in the water and then you won't have good uh spawning success Mm. yeah gotcha that makes sense yeah um that's actually something
2: that i wanted to ask you about was our water quality here Versus other states, I always think about like I've got family down in in Texas, and I drive down there, and we go through Oklahoma, and we go past like Lake Texoma and some of the lakes and creeks down there. They're always brown and murky, and they just seem kind of dirty and stuff like that. The water quality here, it's just it always seems so high. It seems so clean. What what
1: creates that? Why is our water so different it's, here? It's probably a uh, you know the what what the what the soils are like in the watershed. And what uh what's the land use in that in that area? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the lakes I managed in Kansas was several hundred tons of silt went into it a year. It's a lot of agriculture around it. You get major flooding. A lot of that silt's going into the lake um, around here. You know, we've got, we've got a lot of uh, historically we've had a lot of forest. You know, forest in the White R- Upper White River, mm-hmm. yeah. above Lakes Court. You know, up it's it's forested, um, and so, so you don't have as many nutrients in the in the watershed itself. Grand Lake, you were talking about it, mm-hmm. has one of the most productive river systems in the country that's coming into the Neosho The lake. And spring, right there, yeah. yeah. And they, and that's why that fish population is like night and day different than Beaver because mm-hmm. the whole lake is just chock full of nutrients and it's tons of shad. they
0: are two very different rivers to the Neosho and the spring. Which is kind of goes to the point of water water clarity. The spring, for some reason, is always clear and rocky, mm-hmm. and the Neosho runs through Kansas more so, mm-hmm. where it's really dirty and gets all those agriculture fields.
1: You get, gets a ton of nutrients that you know that's actually probably driving the driving the fishery over yeah. there. Is just, it's just ton of nutrients and in in the water the soils in the watershed are different. Mm-hmm. They have, probably have more nitrogen and phosphorus. Mm. That comes into the lake, mm-hmm. whereas beaver doesn't get as much, and beaver lake is you know it's fairly large almost thirty twenty eight thousand acres and you can actually consider it three different lakes you have the upper end of the lake from highway twelve all the way up into the river arms, and that's super productive right it gets mm-hmm. that's where you have two river arms coming in then you have the middle part of the lake that the nutrients start dwindling out still still pretty good productivity then you get down by the dam and it's very unproductive down mm-hmm. by the dam. Yeah. Because it's so deep. There are no tributaries coming in, big tributaries. Right. You got little creeks coming off yeah, slopes yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That's one thing I was gonna
0: ask. Does it have to do with the depth a lot? Because a lot of Oklahoma and Texas lakes aren't near as deep as mm-hmm. Beaver or Table Rock. Right?
1: Yeah, we're considered uh the, the White River lakes are considered highland reservoirs, which means they're they you know they're they're deep. Mm-hmm. You know, even Even in the upper upper part of Beaver Lake, you're going to have 50 feet deep in certain areas. Right. But like you compare it to to a lake down in central Arkansas, like Lake Conway, Mm -hmm. average depth is like six feet. Oh, really? (laughs) You know, or eight feet. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they have super, they're super productive. Um, Very good crappie fisheries, catfish fisheries, bass are really good as well. They're just totally different lakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you even looked at like, it's also uh where those river systems come into the lakes because if you, you know, we get this a lot where why isn't beaver as good as a fishery as Table Rock especially for spotted All bass. Right. Well if you look at Beaver Lake we have the White River and the War Eagle coming into the upper end mm-hmm. and no other major river arms coming in.
2: Hmm.
1: Table Rock has the White River uh it has um the King's River coming into the upper end mm-hmm. has a really good fishery there, but then you get into the middle part of the lake and the James River Arm, a huge river, a pretty big river that yeah. has that has um, nutrients coming from Springfield mm. hits into the middle part of the lake, so you get this huge shot of nutrients in the middle part of Lake Ta- of Table Rock Lake where Beaver doesn't have that. Yeah. Mm. Gotcha. So they all produce, those
2: nutrients for Beaver have to come all the way from the top yeah. and down towards the dam and make it all yeah. the way there.
1: Whereas in Table Rock, you've got James River Arm coming in, mm-hmm. injecting it, with injecting it right thing. in the middle with some yeah some pretty good nutrients, and it they grow huge spotted bass, you yeah, know, three pound spotted bass. Oh,
0: man, is Table Rock? This might be a dumb question, but I don't know. Is Table Rock about the same size as Beaver? I think it's a little bigger. A little bigger. Yeah. yeah. Depth wise, pretty similar. So it's very similar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, all those White River lakes are pretty deep. Yeah. Depth-wise,
2: just being that Beaver Lake and our terrain is different and we have different depths of water, does that create benefits for other types of fish? I mean, a lot of times we have, we're talking about sport fish, crappie bass, stuff like that, maybe prefer the little bit shallower lake, it's more productive. But with the depth, on the flip side, do we have, say, like more catfish um, or better you know habitats for different uh, different species
1: the one reason we have a trophy striped bass fishery is because the beaver lake gets super deep okay and uh actually in the summer months the striped bass actually need a they seek out a thermal refuge so there's a there's actually a bubble of oxygen and cooler water below the thermocline then in the summer months that's where your striped bass are going to be what is the thermocline by the way so I, that's so,
2: basically. I've read about it before, and I always get confused. Um, it would just be helpful if you. So, so in it to the me.
1: summer months, uh, our lakes stratify. So you have the upper part of the water, the upper twenty five feet, and that is uh, that is that's where you have oxygen and you have the majority of your fish are. Mm-hmm. And then, so in the summertime, a uh, because of the water water temperatures, a lake will stratify. So there'll be the upper part. And then, right at the thermocline is where you're going to have a dead zone below it.
2: Dead zone meaning
1: there's no oxygen. No oxygen. No oxygen okay. Normally, there's no oxygen below it. So, like in a small uh, a lake that isn't 200 feet deep, um, let's say a lake is 50 feet deep and it has a thermocline set up. It, it there's it's basically layers of water, yeah, right? Right. And uh, where the thermocline is in, a, in let's say a small lake that has 50 50 foot depth. That thermocline will set up maybe at twenty feet, and then below that there is no oxygen and no fish, okay, but on beaver, because of the way it's set up and it's so deep uh, there's the you know the upper level of water where most of the fish are in the summertime. The thermocline is where the water temperature starts dropping off mm-hmm. and that's how, why there's a separation in in the water and then below the thermocline there's an actual huge area where there's a you start getting into seventy degree water in the summertime in a in a uh, in an oxygen bubble below the thermocline, oh, and really? that's where our striped bass go. Really, And it's because of the way the reservoirs just naturally set up deep, cool water. That's cool. Yeah, and some some lakes, so Beaver Lake has never had a striped bass kill in the summer times, but there are there are some lakes that have. Uh, on Norfolk, they actually have a striped bass population. And during a high water year, those stripers are in the in the bubble below the thermocline. Right. They're actually pulling water to to make electricity through the generation. F- through the generation from that right at that depth where that hmm. bubble is. So if you have a high really high water event in a Norfolk, the lake gets up high, stays up that way until October. And they're generating water all summer they're depleting the oxygen, the, the oxygen at some point just is gone. And right. then they'll have a striped bass die off. Mm,
2: gotcha. Um, you always hear about, or at least me as a, as a trout angler, I always hear about shad kills coming through when in the winter, you're talking about the summer thermocline. Mm-hmm. W- what happens in the winter um, with the thermocline and, h- and how does that change?
1: So in the, so the summertime is when there's a, you know, there's a difference in, in water temperatures. That's what sets up the, that's why the, the water separates because, mm-hmm. te- you know, temperature change. In the wintertime, actually in October to December, that thermocline will, the, it'll break up because there isn't a difference in water temperature then because the top now is at a
2: colder temperature it's not being heated by the Sun it's the same temperature yeah right It's the bottom yeah okay yeah so the and so disappears. so
1: yeah it just dis- disappears and that separation disappears in the winter time so you can catch spotted bass in 60 feet of water walleye you can catch really deep hmm. in the winter time but uh so threadfin shad mm-hmm. are uh, are are they're, they're susceptible to really cold water temperatures. So, if it gets below, gets into the 40s, low 40s for an extended period of time, gets into the 30s, a mm-hmm. uh, thread shad will die because they can't withstand really cold water. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm. Beaver Lake has a ton of spring influence. So, we think that, and if they're further down during the winter, you know, when it's super cold, right. if they're 30, 50 feet deep. Uh, they'll a lot of them survive, but mm-hmm. you still have a huge shad you still have a huge shad die off some years because because that
0: spring is actually producing warmer water than yeah than yeah. that time huh
1: mm-hmm. and and a little further down, you know if the the water temperature may be just a little warmer, you know above the their threshold where they get stressed out. Mm-hmm. But that's why that's why you hear sh- threadfin shad dying. Gotcha. They're dying and they're
2: basically getting sucked through the the generators. As you know,
1: they're they're probably uh, yeah. It depends. I mean, yeah, some of them that are right there that die right there below the dam. But I mean, they they could be dying all over the lake. Mm. And uh, yeah, they could. That's that's a time of year fishing gets super tough. Daniel's gonna blow up. because the they have be so much question. to eat. Yeah. Fish yeah. have so much
2: to eat. They do have so much to eat. It's Well, it's a great time if you're fishing below the the dam, like bull shoals, you always hear about the, the shad kill. You always, you know, you want to fish it. You, you see it when the seagulls or, you know, the birds start seeing the, the shad mm-hmm. floating up on the water. It's like throw on something white and you can catch a mm-hmm. monster trout down below. Yeah. Um, so it's great for there, but up on top, it maybe changes things. Man, I feel
0: like you're someone who I want to go fishing with because <laughs> at any time of the year, you know what, what depth or yeah. water level <laughs> the fish are gonna be at?
2: That's what I'm talking about. I mean, this guy's got to be a great. Angle. We we just need
0: to go get our masters in fisheries. <laughs> That's all we got to do. then We'll be better fishermen. <laughs> That's all we got to do.
2: I, then,
1: lo- I love I love I uh, love fishing, but my big passion right now is deer hunting. Deer I hunting? love deer hunting. Yeah, too, yeah. buddy. It seems like a lot of fisheries biologists end up hunting a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. You probably get so much fish, you're like, I just want to see something different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> huh. That's funny. Um. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned smallmouth fishing. Um, you mentioned you do that a lot. As far as regulations go, um, what what are we seeing right now with with smallmouth fishing? I, you know, we were we had a guest on um, a couple weeks ago, Dwayne Hayda, and he was talking about, for him, that's a passion of his. He grew up on, I think he said he grew up on Crooked Creek and um, just grew up, you know, fishing smallmouth. And for him, it's like an emblem of the Ozarks. That was what he said. It's like a, it almost, for him, is like, he said we should elevate it to a protected species because when you catch one of those, that's like a wild native fish to the Ozarks that, you know, it's just really, um, it's just cool, it's a, like a symbol. And I, 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 I agree with that. And I know as you, as a smallmouth angler, you probably agree with that to a certain extent. What are we seeing with smallmouth? How have we changed regulations over the years and how are we managing that resource?
1: So uh, right now we have pretty restrictive regulations on smallmouth Populations, right. you know, there's a section of the Kings River. It's uh, it's one smallmouth over 18 inches. That's all uh, you know. It has to be an 18 inch fish, one a day. Yeah, hmm. and uh, we've actually, you know, there's I think there's a couple things going on here. Um, we've done angler surveys on Crooked Creek and on the Kings River. Uh, main, you know, my my portion doing the angler survey was on on uh, Kings River. Okay, and we actually put out ten. Um, Plot watcher game cameras on from from uh, the upper end Marble all the way down to Romp Hole, which is like the lowest access on the Kings. Yeah, and these plot watchers they take a video they take a picture every ten seconds. So and then you can take this thing; it's in the daylight hours. Okay. So we had them set up over the river where we could count the number of boats that go by. Oh, okay, and determine the number of. You know, anglers that are out there, right? Well, you think about ten pictures for six months, or tens, 10 cameras yeah. taking a picture every ten seconds yeah. for six months. We figured we looked between. We looked at so so. You can take this, take these pictures. You can put them into a video format, mm-hmm. and you can just sit here and you can watch, and you can sit there and count. You know, we we figured we went through like 5 to 7 million pictures. Oh my gosh. The three of us. Yeah. And it, you know, you're not stopping on every one. Yeah. But you're just kind of going through them and okay, there's a boat and you'll stop. And you tally. you said yeah. one. Okay. And so we would we would look and see if any they had angle if they were fishing or if they had rods and reels in their canoes or kayaks. And we actually found that there's quite a few people out recreating in a kayak or canoe, but only about a third of them are fishing. Hmm. Oh, So a lot of, you know, a lot of people right now, they see this influx of canoers and kayakers. And they're like, they're taking all the smallmouth out. you know, they're all fish, overfishing the population. Well, we only saw that a third of them were actually fishing, which is, which is good. Yeah. Right. Um, The other thing is, is we found that there was very few smallmouth harvested on the Kings River. Mm -hmm. It was like 13 total fish out of 1300. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it was um some guys that wanted to have a fish fry, but that was that was all we saw It was like a one percent harvest rate, same on crooked Creek yeah so we think there's a catch and release mentality right now. I think one of the big issues we have with um, smallmouth populations right now is all this flooding you know flooding does and high water on Beaver lake is great yeah for beaver lake okay but on a on a if we get these hundred year floods on these rivers. We've been getting them consistently, you know a couple hundred hundred year flood events yeah. on the King's River in the last ten years yeah there's been some I think there's been some uh habitat loss, okay, where you're getting this that's why these bank stabilization projects and the yeah. work in these water in these rivers is very important right now because we've been getting these huge flood events, and we weren't getting those. Before yeah. 08. Right. I mean, you, you, the you previous look. 40 years. You well, I mean, yeah, look at, look at. you'll yeah. see what happens now. You'll have like a, you know, in the past, we'd get a couple inches of rain here and there. Now we're getting like a five to eight or 10 inches of rain in a little bit of time. And yeah. that just causes major problems like for erosion. And we're seeing a lot of more gravel and, and, and uh, a lot of gravel in the Kings River. A lot of areas that used to be really good habitat for smallmouth are now wide and shallow. Yeah. And so doing that, Work in the watersheds, you know, doing work in the in the Kings River, all these creeks is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what anglers are probably seeing is, you know, it used to be 30 years ago, you go through there and you could just, you fished from put in to take out and it was great habitat. Yeah, the whole way through. And it's not that habitat is kind of dwindling over time. You get to the area where there's good habitat, you're yeah. going to catch the fire out
2: of yeah. them. Yeah, you got to kind of know your spots, know right. holes a little bit.
1: So that's why I think, I think, and people have seen an increase in kayakers and canoers. Yeah. At the same time, we've had all these flooding events. And when you get flooding events during a smallmouth bass spawn, you're going to have, uh, you may have a bad spawn. Mm-hmm. They may not do well. Yeah. Cause they just can't, you know, they don't spawn well during a flood event. And when it's flooding to
2: like <clears throat> um, the Kings and like the Buffalo, those undammed rivers, um, you know, they, they turn chocolate after a rain and stuff like that. Is that something like sedimentation that's messing with their their eating patterns? They're not able to get or the food the, they need during the spawn.
1: During the spawn, the spawn yeah. yeah. Or, you know, if you get a huge flood when they're up spawning, they're going to, may not, they may not, you know, their beds may be silted in, mm-hmm. eggs may be covered in silt. Mm-hmm. So that's a, you know, that's something that uh, the Arkansas Game and Fish, we have a stream habitat program And they're doing tons of, uh, tons of work in the watershed, trying to get funding to do those bank stabilization projects to prevent future erosion.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's really important. That's good to hear. I mean, especially for you as a smallmouth angler, I'm sure you have a a vested interest in that too, just to, you know, protect that resource and and make sure that that's there for future generations and, and anglers as, as we all, you know, want to, want to pursue that, um, that species with the, uh, people coming in and kayaking more and stuff like that um over the last several years with covid and especially in northwest arkansas the population boom that we're seeing has that changed your job at all has that impacted some of the things that you do or the way you do things so uh
1: i think it's kind of during covid we actually had a I think we had a 40 percent increase in fishing license sales. i figured you did I believe. you know yeah because no there was nothing competing for people's time. Yeah. That you, golf courses spiked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you didn't have youth sports, right. you know, yeah. soccer and baseball and everything you didn't have, you couldn't go to a movie theater. You couldn't, you couldn't do everything, anything, mm-hmm. but you could go fishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so we saw an increase definitely, but I think it's kind of, you know, people are now, there's a lot of competition for people's time. Mm-hmm. I think we're back to the, there's still some people that, that hung on, but, uh, Definitely, definitely helps with the uh, the funding mm-hmm. when we get more, more license sales. Yeah. But we, we do see a, uh, where we needed to improve some of our access areas. I was going to ask, because pu- public access to me is, it's tricky,
2: especially on places like Crooked Creek and the Kings River. You look up the whole thing and there's just, there's not a whole lot of public access, you know, riparian land mm-hmm. along the, the river. So if you're trying to go tap into that resource, it's a little, it can be tricky. Yeah. So yeah, you guys are improving those. Yeah, we're trying
1: to. So, like on the on the Illinois River, we're working with uh, the Wa- Illinois River Watershed Partnership, and we're actually uh, trying to put in some more access areas. Uh, we have one going in right now on below uh, Highway 59, okay. which is over close to Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. But it's uh, we're gonna the the highway is putting in a new bridge, and we worked with the highway department to use some marine fuel tax money. To put in an access there, mm. so it's going to be a boat ramp with a, mm-hmm. you know, a parking lot. Yeah. So we can add to some access to the Illinois River. Yeah. One thing we got to be careful of is we just don't want it to turn into a, like a party river. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if you've been on the Elk River. Oh, yeah. That, that's not a fishing river. <laughs> well, it, You know, it, it has an excellent smallmouth fishery, yeah. but not during, you don't do yeah. it during Labor Day or exactly. Memorial Day. <laughs> you don't want to be out there during Yeah, Labor my parents
0: Day. still talk about the mistake they made. They took me and my brother <laughs> there whenever we were like 10. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Day no. Golly. It is bad. Um. I did have one thought I just had like two and two come together. So Arkansas relative to other states around the area, hunting and fishing licenses are super cheap for resident and non resident. Now that I know that there's a sales tax that goes towards the Game and Fish Commission, is that kind of why
1: Arkansas doesn't raise their license prices? Well, I think I think we've just been we've been super uh conservative, you know, mm-hmm. and haven't haven't Felt the need. I know we tried. We were we were talking about increasing, mm-hmm. and we have increased. I think out of state license sales in the past. But mm-hmm. you're right. Like a fishing license costs ten dollars and a yeah. quarter. Yeah. yeah, so you can it's fish 365 days a year for yeah. ten bucks. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. dirt cheap. And yeah.
0: so, I mean, I guess that means they they're not reaching for money. You know, they have plenty of money coming into the commission. I'm just surprised, especially hunting, more so because mm-hmm. people come into duck hunt everywhere. And they have to pay $20
1: to get into, you know, duck yeah. hunt basically. Oh, and then the stamp, which is yeah. like 15 but. Yeah, I know, Uh, you know, with uh, COVID and all the people using the access areas, some of the flooding issues we're having, we have a pretty, we're actually, you know, we have a lot of funding coming in from the sales tax and hunting and fishing license sales, but we are, we're, Almost, almost. You know, getting to the point where if we're building new accesses or doing stuff like that to to offset the number of people that are, that are out there, we're actually using all those funds, and we could use we could use more, mm-hmm. obviously, to improve the improve the fisheries. I right. mean, it's nice to have that, sure. But uh, you know, with COVID and the uh, the increased use, you know, we see we see we're. And a lot of our infrastructure is getting old. You know, we've had some of the, the boat ramps. You have issues. We have over 600 different uh, access areas across the state. That's a lot of money to maintain, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Is. So I, I don't think it has to do with the fact that that uh, we have too much money, mm-hmm. right? I think it's just been, it's really, uh, it's really tough to do any license increase to the public, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, to just- you know Oklahoma a non-resident hunting license is like $150. A non-resident fishing license is like 50 bucks. And to come here, I mean, I guess it doesn't give people that barrier to come here. Everyone wants to come here and fish because it is good and it is cheap. So mm-hmm. I guess that's a that's a big reason why you wouldn't increase it cuz everyone comes here.
2: Yeah. I'm sure that does probably a lot for tourism mm-hmm. and stuff like that thinking about the yeah. economy as a whole. Uh, just in in our area.
0: Maybe that's out of our scope of the podcast. Maybe so.
2: That's that's getting into some, uh,
1: we need an economist (laughs) on here to break that down. I just
0: thought about that because I didn't know about the sales tax. I knew Mm -hmm. about the license plates Mm -hmm. and stuff, but that probably helps, you know, funding a lot. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think compared to other states, we haven't had to increase, you know, over the year, the last 30 years, because we had that, you know, we've had that sales tax for, since I think in 1995. Yeah. -hmm. But definitely, you know, we like just our trout hatchery, you know the Spring River Trout Hatchery. That's going to be a multi-million-dollar renovation to that, and it's just we have different infrastructure needs like that that are huge amounts of money, right? That draw a lot. You know, take a lot of our budget. Yeah, but I think yeah, the it's a pretty pretty good state to fish in. Absolutely, ten dollars yeah. and a quarter. I know. <laughs> oh man, I love and it. you can
0: catch any species basically yeah. America has to offer. Yeah, apparently sturgeon now. Yeah, I yeah. mean, do you know do you know J D Dudley? Yeah, I think I think
1: I, I don't know him, but okay. I think I've heard of the name. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well,
0: he's one of one of my good friends. I say friend. He used to be our coach in high school. We had him on the podcast he, too, a couple yeah. episodes ago. Okay. And a while ago. Actually. He allegedly saw a sturgeon in the White River. Wow. But yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. We'll, we'll let him fend for himself on yeah. that one.
2: Uh, with uh, back to the just population boom, and especially over COVID in the last year or a couple years, um, how important is education? to like, you've got all these people who maybe it's their first time buying a fishing license or they're moving here and they they just kind of want to explore what the area has to offer. And obviously the outdoors is an attractive thing. How big is education? Because, you know, bringing in money and collecting a sales tax and getting in the licenses, that's great. But obviously if there's a impact to the fisheries and they're taking out resources or they're just doing something destructive that maybe they don't even know mm-hmm. that they're doing... Um, how do y'all combat that?
1: So education is very important. Uh, and with that sales tax, what was mandated in there was we would have nature centers. So we have some of the biggest nature centers in the country as far as, have you been to the JB and Janelle hunt? Just to shoot targets yeah. yep. Uh, yep. during archery season or yep. before archery season. And they do a ton. And we have an education division that does a ton of education. They do, uh, we do, all kinds of events to try to get kids involved in fishing. One of the big things that we're noticing as state agencies across the country is a a reduction in people that are hunting and fishing. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. night and day. yeah. And we're seeing that because I think there's a lot of competition. You know, you have youth youth sports, you've got video games, everything to compete with. And uh, so we have a program now. It's like it's our R three program, and education is really highly involved in that. Where we're looking at at uh, R three is is getting more people involved and reactivating people that used to mm. hunt and fish. Yeah, um, teaching people how to fish, getting people recruited in. Right. So it's uh it's really important, and uh, education is we have a really big education division because we see that, mm-hmm. that, that it's a need. Mm-hmm. But also just education for uh, anglers or fishermen or even uh, jet skiers or yeah. people that have these big wakeboard boats, educating the public on not transmitting aquatic nuisance species. That's huge. Yeah, You know, because... A lot of states, including Arkansas, we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year combating aquatic nuisance species.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a big thing is education.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Drain, you know, clean, drain, and dry your boat. Right. Your mm-hmm. waders. If you're going to go into Missouri and fish the trout waters in Missouri, mm-hmm. don't come in back into Arkansas with wet waders or anything like that, because that can. Waders. Dirty waiters because you can bring in aquatic nuisance species. Yeah, and that's not just
2: you're talking about like a didymo? That's like Didymo, the, Yep, that, right, um, zebra mussels. mussels yeah. Familiar
1: with yeah. zebra mussels? You can have you know a hundred, several thousand small zebra mussel villagers. You can't see them with your eye mm-hmm. in a you know a cup of water. You can have several hundred thousand zebra mussel villagers. So if it's a bunch of water in the bottom of a wake boat, yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be going back and forth, They're you know Grand Lake a lot, I yeah. think, yeah, but yeah, so education's really important to try to you know let people try to educate people on, hey, we don't want to be bringing this stuff in, don't be moving fish around don't be don't be bringing water in mm-hmm. um yeah, it's really important, yeah, absolutely,
2: I think I mean that's one of the the ways that that's it's one of the things that we we try to do as as people who um you know we partake in the outdoors here we try to pass on that information as obviously we want people to to get outside and use our resources and explore you know what makes this place a great place to live but at the same time it's like you got to you got to know how to preserve it and and make sure that everyone's using it the right way so that's always something that we if we can if we know what we're talking about we mm-hmm. try to to stress and and say to mm-hmm. to folks as well um but I, I don't have, that's all I've got for you. You know, we, we had a great time. I, I learned a lot just about our fisheries here and, and kind of what's going on with, uh, with our fisheries around Northwest Arkansas. So just want to say it really appreciates your time. I don't know, Adam, did you have anything else?
0: I do. I don't know if I should wait till off the podcast or, or drop it here. No, ask away. We've all been. right, we'll have Daniel edit out if, it, if it's uh, not, not cool, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spoon billing in Arkansas. Uh. I know that there are some in the white. Are you able to
1: spoonbill in the White River? So the only place right now that you can do uh, snagging paddlefish mm-hmm. is below a dam. So below Beaver Dam mm-hmm. within 100 yards. You know, there's a sign. You mm-hmm. can't be up in, in the dam, but there's a 100-yard area below yeah. Beaver Dam. Table Rock has a tremendous um, paddlefish fishery. They come up into ta- into the into the tailwater. Mm-hmm. Um, Below Sequoia Dam, if you can find a place, you can do, you know, 100 yards below the dam. There isn't really much access there. Um, One thing, so being the fisheries biologist, we actually put together a uh, fisheries management plan for Beaver Lake. And Beaver Lake has some remnant paddlefish in the population. Mm -hmm. About 20 to 30 years ago, we were concerned about overharvest of our river fisheries because their paddlefish females actually have caviar. Like mm-hmm. oh okay that can be worth five grand oh you yeah know. they're a delicacy oh I didn't know yeah, that. yeah that that's how that's a big source of caviar it was at the time yeah and we were concerned about overharvest so we started the game of fish started stocking paddlefish and beaver lake twenty to thirty years ago we stopped like twenty years ago mm-hmm. um, really? so some of those things are uh, the majority of them are over a hundred pounds mm-hmm. and the the two currents you know the state record like in two thousand fifteen was one hundred and five pounds. I think in 2020 a guy caught one that I I actually weighed. It was 118 pounds. Oh my gosh! So we are actually in our management plan. We we are going to have open it up to public comment, but we're actually going to look at uh, starting to stock paddlefish again, small numbers, mm-hmm. but then allow a snagging season in the lake, similar to what they have in Grand Lake, mm-hmm. where you can you can snag from a boat. Yeah. It wouldn't be restricted. And the reason why we're looking at that is just as its a super. It'd be super popular. Yeah. And those those fish are—they grow huge. They're the so lake. cool. What
0: What are the regulations down by Twin Bridges
1: in the White? And so that's you—you you can't snag there. Okay. You have to snag. You can only snag below a dam during uh during the snagging season. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, this was back in college. Maybe I'm uh, what's the what's the word? You're self-incriminating. Self-incriminating, right Statute now. Statute
1: of limitations <laughs> is over, probably. Somebody, <laughs> let's just say
0: somebody was down um, catching white bass and walleye down there around the bend yeah. by Twin Bridges, and he or I saw a bunch of big spoonbill, and I hooked into one while I like, you know, I snagged it with my white bass. I'm like, gosh, these are spoonbill, and these are a lot of spoonbill. So I actually did the right thing, and I called a game warden or someone. Someone in that department, Mm -hmm. whoever I talked to, I can't remember. Yeah. But they said you had to fish within a certain distance from the bridge. Is that considered a dam?
1: Well, no. The only place you can do is 100 yards below Lake Sequoia Dam. Okay. So if you're at Twin Bridges, you're too far down. Okay. But that's where the law is kind of tricky right now. If you are fishing with a uh, crankbait or a... uh, as, As long as you're not actively snagging, if right. You're, if you're fishing with a crankbait, <laughs> okay.
2: you were fishing with a crankbait, right? Yeah. <laughs> a really big yeah. crankbait. Yeah.
1: Well, the the current state record, both state records, um, the 105 and 118 pounder were caught foul hooked. Because in Arkansas, you can you can keep a foul hooked fish. You mm-hmm. could if you accidentally catch, you know, a 10-pound walleye and it you know it swings at your bait and you hook it in the head or the back, you mm-hmm. can keep it. Um so a, a paddlefish paddle fish in Arkansas, if you're not actively snagging if you're throwing a crankbait mm-hmm. and you hook into one you can legally land it yeah and it's considered a legally caught fish and that's how we're but other you know like when you're actively snagging you have to do it during a snagging season because i don't know if you've seen they they use a big three three ounce treble hook mm-hmm. with weight on it and they're huge and you throw them out with some heavy gear and you just you know you're snagging you're just ripping through the water you're ripping through the water yeah Um, So we're looking at changing that on beaver because in in adding uh, a season to uh, to an extended season or a place where you can snag below uh, the trout fishery on beaver tailwater, tailwater. like from Hausman to the Arkansas line, Mm -hmm. Hmm. that's something we're looking at. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, I will say they were really, really big fish and they were all big. Like, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, so I grew up paddlefish snagging whatever um, and they do have really big ones but there in the white and in beaver they were all really big I'm trying to pull up a picture real quick but'll I'll crop my face out
2: <laughs> yeah definitely uh, to any of our listeners don't go looking for those big fish down yeah there.
0: but I guess it it was a great area because I didn't really understand the regulations yeah. whenever I called and they weren't mm. too knowledgeable on it um, and I ended up just just snagging yeah this was a long time ago. Yeah,
2: yeah, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Past seven years at least. Yeah, if that's the but, statute
0: of limitations. <laughs> anyways, I'll find it and I'll show you. Later. Yeah, and those, you
1: know, if that was ten years ago. Think about their fish out there that are, hundred and twenty pounds, probably. Yeah, that's what I was gonna they say. If
0: you guys stopped stocking them twenty years ago, then they've been self-sustaining for that long. You know, we or they're they're really that old.
1: They're really that old. Yeah. We think. I I just I haven't seen any like. They're all sixty pounds or bigger. I'd mm-hmm. like to see if somebody ever catches one that's sober. I, this one I caught was
0: right about sixty. Sixty, yeah. 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 Gosh, I'll find it after the podcast. Yeah. So the strong, yeah
1: the but. current state record a guy was actually fishing with uh, I think he was using a like a a jerk bait and then he had like a a trailer jig like a smaller jig on it like a bucktailed jig yeah okay and that paddlefish swallowed but it. It they, they just swim around with their mouth open yeah a plankton feeder well it just swam into his jig yeah got it man <laughs> that is cool i've never yeah. done that i
2: I'd, I I want to go with you. That's another thing we'll have to go do yeah. after you take me to that secret pond you've got yeah. with all the yeah. fish structures. So you the can, same spot.
1: <laughs> you can, yeah, you can legally snag below Beaver Dam. Yeah, that hundred yard that. stretch, and not many people do about it. Not people. Not many people know about it. Yeah, there's a pretty good paddlefish population in Table Rock. Okay. Oh, that's cool.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Yep. Very
2: cool. Well, do you have any? Do you have any messages to end with anyone who's listening? Anything that's going on that you want people to know about, or um, just anything, anything that you'd like I, people to hear?
1: Just a couple, couple things. We have a striped bass uh, tag reward study going on right now on right. Beaver and uh, Beaver, actually Beaver Lake, Norfolk, and Washtaw Lakes. Um, we tagged 200, 250 striped bass in Beaver Lake. We're wanting to find out how many are being harvested, mm-hmm. so. Um, we actually put uh, two tags in each 250 fish in beaver and uh if you catch a fish that's tagged there's a number to call it's my coworker's cell phone okay (laughs) he's gonna have to change his number after he (laughs) gets calls but uh so if you he'll ask you several questions just about we're getting information on how many are being harvested where you caught it and uh and basically just some general information, really good data that we, we can use to manage the fishery in the in the future. And uh the cool thing is too is we want one hundred percent of those fish that are caught that have a tag on them returned. Mm-hmm. So each fish is worth a hundred dollars. That's so right. if you if you catch a tagged striper in beaver, Washtar, or norfolk, and you call the number and actually send us the tags, you get $100 a hundred dollar reward yeah. per fish. Yeah, per fish. Man. They they have two tags in them because we want to see if they're uh if we if we have you know tag loss. Yeah. But each fish is worth $100. They you know, they'll have two tags in them. They're still just worth $100. Yeah. So and, you uh,
2: can you got those are you're keeping those fish obviously. So
1: if somebody let's say somebody catches one and they don't want to keep it, they can just cut the tags off. Oh, okay. And then release the fish. Yeah. And then they call the number and they turn in the tags. They'll get a they'll get a reward too. Because we didn't, you know, not everybody's going to harvest. So that's something that's going on for a year on three lakes. We've tagged 650 stripers in those three lakes. Um, yeah. So if anybody's out there and catches a tagged striper, call your coworker. You can you can, you can <laughs> send in the yeah, tag. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Man, that's
2: pretty good. Honestly, yeah. that would if you could go out there with like a guide and catch three or four, it'd pay for your day.
1: There was a younger yeah. teenager caught the first one that we had. And really. Yeah, he got a hundred dollars, so that's got awesome. part of his part of his guide trip paid for. Yeah, yeah
2: that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Did y'all do that at a certain part of the lake, or did you do that in a couple of areas? So around? we did it
1: around uh, Prairie Creek and Montney, so the kind of the upper end of the lake yeah. where they were.
2: Uh-huh. Those
1: things move around. Okay. And we had a we had a st- side study going on in our nursery pond, and we actually tagged a fish at the nursery pond, and three days later it was called in the tag, and it moved fifteen miles. Fifteen miles. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Holy so they God. spread around. They move around quite okay. a bit. Yeah. So it's Impressive. not
2: like you can just post up at Prairie Creek and no, the they're fish. Yeah, <laughs> they
1: move. They move. But in the summertime, they'll they'll all be down by the dam yeah. mainly. Yeah. yeah, and I guess the other thing I wanted to just we have a we have a Facebook page. Okay, uh, Northwest Target. So it's it's AGFC Fisheries NWA. Okay, and uh, we put on, you know, we put posts on there weekly of what projects we're doing and. That's where people can get information. Yeah, on anything going on.
2: I think I do follow that page because um, I I saw some pictures of y'all's stream bank um, enhancement mm. um, project that you were doing, and there was a bunch of trees planted alongside there, and y'all had put in um, big big rocks alongside mm. the bank. Is that was yeah, that on the Kings River.
1: That, that was on Clifty Creek, Clifty which Creek is a Creek. tributary of War Eagle, and eventually Beaver Lake. Okay, yeah, gotcha. that was with that big project. Yeah, that's cool. And can people? Do you guys ever take volunteers on
2: stuff like that to come help? Oh yeah, or is it just yeah.
1: That was finished? a that was a uh, that was a volunteer day okay. where we actually they planted uh, three hundred trees and shrubs on that newly n- new bank, mm-hmm. and it was all volunteers. Yeah, yeah. cool. Very cool. So if,
2: if anyone's listening and want to get involved, they can go on that Facebook page.
1: Or they can, you know, my, my phone number's on that page. Okay. And an office number, and they can just reach out. Reach out. Yeah. Ask you if they can come. Yeah. Come get on there. Yeah. And get yeah. on an electrofishing boat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, we'll we'll yeah. come
2: over there and do that. Um, well, that's awesome. I think that's a, a good place to end it. And um, just want to, again, thank you for for coming to meet with us. You bet. Definitely learned a lot and uh, appreciate your time.
1: Yeah. You bet. So, and to our
2: listeners, if you guys enjoyed the episode, just make sure you let us know. Um, you can yeah. reach out to us via email or on our Instagram. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Yep. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is hosted by Kyle Veet, co-hosted by Adam Trees and Kyle Plunkett, and produced by Daniel Matthews. To sponsor an episode or for general advertising inquiries, reach out to us at Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.